0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, what a time of worship. I'm just real thankful that we have an opportunity to come here with brothers and sisters that we love here. Um, and just worship God together. That's just something I'm not going to take for granted. Um, two housekeeping things that I'd like to say. Um, if I weren't teaching today, I think I would be home under about three blankets watching Downton Abbey or something under, and watching Netflix until about 11 o'clock and hit out. And look at everybody who's here today. It's dark, it's cold, and you're here. So thank you so much for coming. It's only going to get harder, and I really appreciate all of you for coming out here today. Um, the second thing I'd like to say, and this is on a congratulatory note, um, the Thrive Podcast this re- week just reached its 5,000th download, so um, 5,000 people have downloaded the Thrive Podcast, so it's a big deal, yeah, you know. So um, if you are following along with us, if it's your first time, it doesn't matter, we're still in the same place, if you would open up your Bible to Philippians 3, we're going to study past verses 1 through 11 today. Um, and so we'll start in verse 1, and I'll just do verse by verse for here. Paul says when he's writing this letter to Philippians, he starts off chapter three. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and to say for you. What's funny is that when he says finally, there's like a chapter and a half yet to go. You talk to someone, they're like, one last thing, and like, here we go for 20 more minutes. That's what Paul's gonna do here because he starts chapter four with finally. Finally, my brothers, he says, If you feel like it, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, wait, no, that's the other screen. Finally, my brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord, right? He doesn't say, if you feel like it, you know, if you're feeling up to it, guys, you know, it'd be really nice if you rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. He's like, I don't care, and it's safe for you. Our 21st century translation for that is, I'm sounding like a broken record, right? I'm not asking you something that I haven't asked you before. I'm going to write the same thing that I said before rejoice in the Lord Um, and it's not something that we feel like doing it's something that we do notice what it says in Psalm 116 12 through 15 in the next slide there what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me right what should I give to the Lord for all the things he's done to me I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people right when the psalmist is talking about that he's like what am I going to do for all the things God's done for me right I'm going to rejoice in the Lord I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation I'm going to call on the name of the Lord I'm going to say to God you know I'm so thankful for all the things that you've done to me Why do we rejoice in the Lord? Why did Paul say to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord? Because of all the things that God's done. You know, we just sang in that song, you know God, it's not for anything that you can do, it's just for who you are. And uh, if you're a Christian in this room, you know that you're not just a Christian because mommy and daddy are Christian, and you're like, yes, I'm gonna do that. That's not you, you know, you're a Christian because God gave you hope in a world that there wasn't any hope. God gave you peace in a world that tried to sell you everything that wasn't peace. The world tried to give you an identity and then Christ became your identity and changed your whole world. And God does all these things for us because of who he is and that changes who we are. So what are we gonna give to the Lord for all of his benefits unto me? Well, Paul says in chapter three, rejoice in the Lord. I like the last verse here and I kept it up there. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know like, I thought we were all happy here, you know, rejoice in the Lord. And then it's about death, well great, thanks. and I was thinking about that and I was like, why would David put that in the psalm or the psalmist? Why would he talk about, you know, God, we're so thankful for you and we're thankful for death. You know, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I was thinking about that. Um, and the last part of that, which I really like, is that precious, it says, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Right? What he's all saying is that in this entire picture of life that we're living, In this entire world that we have where we're thankful for the Lord, for our friends, our family, our Christian, you know, our church or our food or whatever, every time we're rejoicing in the Lord, that's part of the picture. There are hard things that are happening in our world too, right? There are things that are happening that we're not so okay with, that we're not so thankful for, but the psalmist is saying, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? It says down there. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul's not just saying rejoice in the Lord when everything's good. Paul's not just saying I hope you feel like rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord. I think Paul would teach and I think that the psalmist would teach that we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord in the entirety of life. Not just one thing, not just when we're happy, but everything. Um, And that's that type of rejoicing. Um, We're going to start the next two verses. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, when he says, look out for the dogs, he's not meaning like little puppies. You know, we have this cute idea of, you know, little, you know, cocker spaniels nipping at our ankles. That's not what he's talking about. You know, dogs in Palestine and probably every country in the world are, you know, mangy, scrounging on the, you know, and that's what he's thinking of these people, right? So when he's calling them dogs, it's not like this good thing. Look out for these dogs. Look out for these evildoers. So what was happening in uh, Philippi, which is to where Paul wrote the letter, a group of people were going around who were trying to get Christians to follow the Jewish law. So you used to be a Jew, then Christ came, and then you were a Christian, right? I was like, what's a good example to kind of describe the difference? What's an example to kind of describe, you know, kind of this transition? And um, how many of you got your temps before you got your license? You had to, so I'm glad everyone raised their hand. So, what happens then, and I'm going to explain it to you like you didn't know. When you got your temps, you got this little piece of paper, you took the easiest test on the planet, and then you had to, you know, oh, you could drive, but you had to obey certain laws, right? Uh, Everyone's like, yeah, well, I failed my test. Well, how could you? It was like, if an ambulance is coming, you either drive towards it, um, you know, run around and scream, park to at a 45-degree angle and wait for the ambulance to pass, or run off a cliff, you know? I was like, how did anyone fail that test? <laughs> anyway, um, but what, what happened when you t- took that test after you passed it eventually, it said you can drive, but you have limitations, right? You can drive, but there has to be somebody in the passenger seat, your mom, your dad, whoever, who would r- drive with you, who would drive with you. Um, you couldn't have more than three people or something in the car technically. You weren't allowed to drive after a certain point of night, technically, right? They were rules that were trying to prepare you for the moment that you took your driving test and passed, right? Now, Now that you have your driver's license, is it okay to drive distractedly? Can you drive with three people in the car and be like, you know, party up? You know, not even paying attention on the road? No. They were rules. They were good rules. They were testing you for the moment that when you started to drive, you could actually drive. That's kind of what the law was like to the Jews, you know. The law was something that was preparing you for grace. That was showing you what God was like, showing you his character, showing you his attributes, so that when you became a Christian, so that when Christ saved you in your life, it's not like the precepts behind circumcision don't matter anymore, but it's, a, it's like circumcision itself. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Um, I remember a story that my sister told me when uh, she was in church here a billion years ago. She was like in fifth grade. And um, a girl raised, rose her hand and went up to the teacher and said, teacher, Caitlin had her eyes open during prayer. My sister came home. She said, now how could that girl know I had my eyes open during prayer, unless, you know, it was a big deal for a fifth, fifth grader, you know, unless her eyes were open during prayer. And what was happening there is that um, there's always things that get people going that we add to the scripture, right? What got this little girl going was the fact that somebody had their eyes open during prayer. It wasn't something that was necessary, you know, you don't read in, you know, Second Timothy, it's like, don't open your eyes during prayer. You know, that's something Christians superimpose on what the Bible said. Right? And Jews back then superimposed on what the Torah said. So, well, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy, so we'll say there's only a certain amount of steps you can take. And they did the same thing. And so, what would happen is um, maybe there are things like that in our lives that we're superimposing on the Christian life, on the Christian walk that we're noticing. So, when Paul's saying, look out for these people, these dogs, these evildoers who are mutilating the flesh, right? He's saying these people are taking what the what their Bible said, what the Torah said and they're taking that and they're taking it way too far, right? It was meant to be a guide, it was meant to kind of be like your temps that you're supposed to take and now they're making it like the entire driving test. Paul saying, you know, this about these people, what if we do those types of same things? You know, maybe it's not, you know, somebody opening their eyes during prayer. Maybe it's not, you know, not reading a Bible but you know, maybe it's someone has a tattoo and you're just, it's, you don't say anything, you don't care, you're just kind of like, oh, that's fine, you know. I thought it said don't, you know, our body was a temple of the Holy Spirit here. But why are they graffitiing their temple? You know, maybe it's piercings. Maybe it's somebody who dresses immodestly and you're like, wow, I thought it said in First Timothy that we were supposed to not adorn ourselves in gold and jewelry and, you know, other precious jewels. But that's fine. You know, that's okay for them. Now, what are we doing? We're adding things that the Bible says, right? The Bible says all these things in a block, and we're adding things to them, right? Just because the Bible says your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul's talking about sexual immorality. I'm pretty sure he's okay with if you want to get a tattoo or not, right? And you could add all these things, but this is gonna be a personal question. What do you add onto the Christian life? When I was a kid, I remember if I used to, I I bet I was really cute. I was probably this tall, and I would always wear dress pants, a shirt, and a tie to church every Sunday, My parents weren't like, you better wear a dress shirt and a tie. I was just like, let's wear a dress shirt and a tie. I love doing that. Always do that. I'd always go to church. I'd always sit in the front row, probably like right here in that seat. Um, My friends would sit with me. I'm shocked I even had any wearing a tie to church. But I looked good, baby. Right? Why? Because I knew what God said, you know, about taking his name with respect. And, you know, know, let's be glad when you come to the house of the Lord. I knew what he said. But I had added my own rules to what God had said. Well, that's fine, you know, but I would really rather wear a tie. Now, is there anything wrong with wearing a tie in church? Raise your hand. Is there anything unpopular with raising a tie in church? Raise your hand. Wow, nobody raised their hand. That's good. (laughs) But there's not, right? I can wear a tie. Is there anything wrong with sitting in the front row? Is Noah, you know, living in sin here? No. Sit in the front row. Sit wherever you want. But what had happened was I was making those as a caveat to how spiritual I was, right? The more spiritual I am, well, I'm more spiritual than they because I'm wearing my tie and my belt and my black shoes and my, you know, nice socks. I'm more spiritual because I sit in the front. And that's what these Jews were doing. They were adding stuff to the law and making it seem like they were more more, um, more righteous than other people. And Paul says, but we're the circumcision, right? You're the circumcision. You think it's necessary to be circumcised, but we're the circumcision. What? who actually get circumcised? No, who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's basically saying I'm not gonna put any confidence in my flesh. And let's read his laundry list here, the next slide because I think this is incredible. This is Paul just boasting himself up. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And can't you just hear the pride kind of dripping, right? And he's doing it for a point, but he's saying, I was the best there was when it came to this Jewish thing. You know, uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day like a good little Jewish boy should. He was from the people of Israel. The smallest tribe in Judah was the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. He's saying like, if this were football, I were Tom Brady, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was doing everything right. And I have a story to tell you, and I don't know if I should do this or not, but I'm going to and tell me if I'm wrong. When I was young, I became a Christian at about four and was baptized at about five years old. Um, I went to Olympians for all five years, which is this like church spiritual boot camp, and memorized all the necessary scriptures thereof to win gold medals. They had silver, bronze, silver, gold. I won all the gold medals. Um, I went on a missions trip every summer, from every summer till the end of my freshman year, and actually interpreted at a missions organization for two months, um, I have a bachelor's degree literally in biblical studies to prove this. I'm a fantastic memorizer of scripture. I can memorize more scripture probably chapters at a time. Uh, I used to pray every Tuesday night for eight hours or every Wednesday night for eight hours the whole night. I wouldn't go to bed. Um, I used to, um, if this were a contest here, I would probably beat you, right, right? Right, I'm, I'm being honest. If it were, I'd probably beat you. Go to the next verse here in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What's Paul saying? That crap doesn't matter, right? it's important that you memorize scripture and it's important that you pray and it's important that you fast and it's important that you do all that stuff but the moment that christian mccartney six years old comes in this and thinks that he's better than other people that's the problem and that's when it, that washes all away the moment you come in a room and you care more that somebody you know dresses weird than the fact that they're probably you know going to hell that's the problem the moment that you come in and see that somebody has a tattoo and you care more about that than something else that's the problem you know there it, there's so many issues that will Focus on that and we'll forget the person underneath. That's what the Jews were doing. That's what Paul's writing about here. That's what Paul did and that's what Christian McCartney did and that's what you guys do too. And this whole thing, Paul's saying, listen, it doesn't matter. That stuff, count as lost for the sake of Christ. And that's a really important point for us to realize. Um, the end of verse nine is the ticket here. Um, and we'll read chapter, verses, I'm sorry, eight through nine. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and a righteousness from God that depends on faith. The end of verse 9 is the ticket that our righteousness comes through faith. Faith in what? You know, faith in the fact that Jesus died for you, right? The standard's up here, right? And I heard it this way, and I like this. If, if somebody said to me, the only way that I'll let you into my party is if you throw a baseball to the moon, right? I would throw it. I'd probably get, I don't know, not far at all. Um, but if I got Nick Miller, you know, you were a pitcher, weren't you? Yeah. Do you think he'd be able to throw it further than I would? Wow, everybody hates Nick. Yes, he would be able to. I and mean, maybe if I got my, he'd be able to throw it maybe just a little further or anybody else, right? But this is the thing. Would anybody come close to reaching the moon? No. Why? Because <laughs> the moon's a long way away, right? And so when, we are, when we're doing that, it doesn't matter if I throw further than Nick Miller or if Nick Miller throws further than I do. Why? Because it's not the standard set. And that's what Paul's saying. The standard set in the Jewish law is perfection, right? And what does Paul say in Romans? No one's perfect. No, not one. No one fulfills this standard of perfection. So it doesn't matter how good you are to become a Christian. It doesn't matter how clean you are to become a Christian. Because if you are clean and are good and you think you're great, are you perfect? No, and that's the standard. It doesn't matter how far you can do it. It's not going to matter if you don't meet the standard. And that's what Paul's saying. Then I'll read at the end of verse 9 again. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Our righteousness, our rightness before God comes through belief in Christ that depends on faith, not our works. Um, And we're reading in the end of verse 10 that it's almost this mystic thing of like, we're getting the better end of the trade-off here. It's better that we don't count on our works. We'll just read that very quickly. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to give up the external confidence that he has in his righteousness so that he can gain Christ. A good way to look at this is like God wants you to let go of what you have so that he can get you what he has. I heard this illustration. It's not good, but it's better than anything I have, so I'm going to say it. I had heard a guy say, you know, like, you hold on to stuff so tightly in your life. You know, you hold on to it, and you're not going to let it go. He's like, you almost let it go so that God can pour things into your hand. That was the illustration he gave. If that makes any sense at all, it doesn't look like it does, but that was the one. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. That was the one that he gave. And it's like, if you are holding on to your identity, if you're holding on to the external modifiers of your righteousness, if you're holding on to what you think makes you feel good, it's not going to matter. Let it go. So that God, you know, can fill that up for you. Maybe you're stingy with your money because if you're like, if nobody's gonna, you know, if I don't, you know, really save up for the future, nobody's gonna care for me. Let it go. God cares for you. What does God say? Look at the lilies of the field. They neither tend nor toil nor spin, and yet Solomon and all of splendor wasn't arrayed like this, right? God cares for you. The spar- aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? God numbers all the harrows on your head, you know? So maybe let that go. Maybe you always have to be the fun guy to hang around with because no- then nobody will know how much of a loser you are. You know, and you've built up this alter ego for yourself. Let it go, chill out, God loves you. Let God fill in these moments of your identity. And um, this is something, too, that I think I should talk about. I wasn't going to, but I think I'm going to. Um, Before we get to the application points, I want to say, um, when you come to Christ, you just don't take what he says about salvation and apply that to you, right? When I become a Christian, it's not like I'm like, okay, God, um, you said that I have to believe in your son, and you said that I have to believe that he died for me and that he rose again on the third day. Um, that he took my sin and all that, and then I'll become a Christian, and then I'll be saved, right? Is that true? Yes, yes thank you. Some, some reclamation of the gospel. That's true, right? Okay, so that's true, but God just doesn't change your salvific outcome, if that makes sense. God just doesn't change where you're going, right? God just doesn't make you saved and you're good to go, right? God changes your identity, God changes who you were. And I was talking with someone for hours, it felt like, last night, just hashing this point back and forth. Like, and this is what I came to the conclusion. Paul's identity was in some of this stuff, right? Paul was a Benjamite. Can you go to the last slide? I think it is, because that's kind of important. Paul was, okay, one more, my fault. <laughs> is that the last one? Okay, <laughs> Okay, Paul was circumcised, right? When he became a Christian, did all of a sudden he become not circumcised? No, he was still circumcised. Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, you know. Did he change his ethnic identity as soon as he became a Christian? No, he's still a Benjamite. You know, all of these things he's talking about, is Paul still really intelligent, really smart, really familiar with the Hebrew Scripture? Of course, but God is changing the focus that Paul is placing on those things, and God is subsuming those things into himself. And I was thinking that for ourselves, Um, our confidence in our external modifiers, right? These are all external modifiers of Paul. None of these are talking about his heart, they're just external things that are showing his character. These external modifiers, and you have them too, they look at me and they think, you know, Christian's a piano player, he speaks Spanish, he's annoying, I'm smart, um, whatever. These are external things about Christian, right? When God bought Christian with his blood, he changed Christian's identity so now Christian stuff that our externals, God uses those. And a lot of the sin issues that I think we deal with is, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever you are years old, is that we take these things that are, are external modifiers and we take them into our heart and be like, this is who I am now. Does that make sense? Nobody's nodding. Okay, I'm going to try again. <laughs> do we make the things that we are, that we do, who we are, Right? We take the things that we like and make that all that we are. So all of a sudden I like horseback riding. Well, that's who I am now. And it's okay to like that stuff. It's okay to do that stuff. So when God bought you, when God bought you, he bought you with a price. And he took that and he's now making that so that you can um, serve him in that way. Um, We're going to go to the two application points here. Um, The first one is, what can you thank God for today? I was like, wow, this should have been a Thanksgiving one, but just didn't think through it. Um, But I mean that sincerely, you know, maybe you feel great. Maybe your school's great, your life's great, your friends are great, your parents are great. Yeah, I bet. Everyone's great. You know, you're fine. Um, And you have a billion things to thank God for. That's fine. Thank God for something. Maybe life's tough. I think it's exam week for some people. Who's in exam week right now? Okay, does anybody have it like later or next week or something like that? Okay, so that's happening. So, you know, maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're like, I'm just going to get what I'm getting. You know, go into there and just like, that's the only time you pray is when you're like, Lord, please, you know, I really didn't study. Um, Take that stuff, and as stressful as life might be for you right now, take that and thank God for something in there. You have good friends, you have a good church, you have good whatever. Um, The second thing, application point here is let go of your stuff. It's not about the stuff and I don't mean physically, I mean like the things that you are, the things that you hold on to, the things that you think you're gonna be saved because you're a good person or you don't smoke or whatever, take those things and let them go and let Christ subsume your identity. Maybe you were a Sunday school graduate like I was and you use that to make yourself feel good Um, because you use that and you compare yourself to others. Well, I can't throw the ball to the moon but I can throw it faster than, you know, or can throw it farther than this squirrel over here. Listen, It's not about that. It's not about the stuff. Let go of it because Christ's righteousness becomes your righteousness. Um, I heard this cool quote from St. Augustine that we'll uh, finish this out with. "With, Without God, you can't. And without you, God won't. This is from St. Augustine. God will not move in your life unless you want him to move in your personal, spiritual life. Right? If you don't want God to work in your heart, he's not gonna work in your heart. When Jesus was talking, and I think it's in Mark, he says, I stand at the door and bust the door down. No, he didn't say that. What is it, I stand at the door and knock, right? Let me in, buddy, that's what he's saying. You know, without you, God won't, and without God, you can't. And I just wanna say today, there's identity issues that we all struggle with in our lives that God wants to take from you, that God wants to subsume into himself, that we can give him. Um, I hope that was encouraging. I appreciate you all, and I appreciate the fact that we have this opportunity um, to be here together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're just so thankful for you. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the opportunity that you take who we are, God, to make it who we can be through you. Um, We realize, God, that we take things all the time about people, about ourselves, and make that the only thing that we care about or we make that the only thing that's important in our lives. And I just pray, God, that you would help us um, get rid of that stuff and make it all about you in our hearts, make it all about you in our lives. And we're thankful for who you are, God, and we're thankful for the fact that you have done this in our lives already and you're gonna continue to do so. In your son's name, amen. Uh, Thanks for coming and see you next week.